Okay. Let's see. Yes? Um, that is the screen, that is the wallpaper on top of the desktop, and I'm not really sure why that's up. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> well, the cute little girl, as the case might be. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Mark chapter 12. I've been preaching a series of messages almost since I got here, entitled Live Love. One of the things God spoke clearly to me as I prayed about coming here, one of the things he put clear on my heart was that he wanted us to be a people who live love. And um, so each week I've been pondering on that and studying the scriptures and getting a sense of what God's heart concerning that would be for us here at the bridge. And so I began the series, uh, we looked at the classic text in 1 Corinthians 13 and we looked at what it means to live love and how do we do it. In the second of the series, we looked at the, the verses of John 15 on the vine and the branches on how there's maybe two paradigms of looking at that text, the difference between uh, an emphasis on fruitfulness versus an emphasis on relationship. And um, I believe that the emphasis in that text it has to do with relationship. We also talked about the connection between love and freedom, that the most liberating act in all of human history, the cross was also the most loving act. There's a real connection between love and freedom. And the third on the series, we looked at forgiveness and what Jesus had to say about that in Matthew 18. That for living love, where the rubber meets the road, if we're going to be a people who live love, then we have to be a people who know how to forgive. There's a great quote I found by the uh, Welch a poet and priest from the 1960s, George Herbert, he said, He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. And I felt like that was a prophetic word to us, that if we cannot forgive, if we're a people who choose not to forgive, it will break the bridge. It will break us. And that um, um, living love, act, executing, uh, exercising forgiveness uh, is what's going to seal and restore any cracks that are in our foundation as a community. And last week, uh, in our fourth on the series, I looked at the dimensions of love out of Ephesians chapter 3. About how wide Jesus' love is. And it's wide enough to include you. How long his love is. It's long enough to cover your past and your present and your future. How high it is. That love always hopes. It always trusts. It always perseveres. It always protects. It never fails. And that his love was deep enough. That no matter how deep your pit uh, his love is deeper still that his love is inseparable and inescapable and his love is extravagant and we ended last week with that powerful song by Kim Walker Oh How He Loves Us it's a powerful time so I'm going to do my fifth in the series Live Love Today on the object of our affections the object the objects of our affection and in Mark chapter 12. So if you're open to that, beginning at verse 28, I'll start reading. I oh, God. Guys, I believe that God wants us to be a people who live love. Amen. That if we can lay a solid foundation 
of loving one another, that God can build anything on it. A solid, sure foundation of love and trust, that we can live that love, that he can build anything. He can do God-sized things in our midst, and it'll stand. That's why I'm taking so much time, week after week, driving home this point. I am passionate. I have such a strong desire that we be a people who live love. I believe it's the heart of God. So Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than birth offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Lord, I thank you for the truth and the power that's in your word. I ask you to give me grace today to preach your word to your people with authority. And Lord, I ask that you prepare their hearts to receive it. But mostly, Father, I ask that you change us. Whatever ways we need to be changed, that we would be a people who live love. Amen? There are some practical truths in this short text on living love. And so I want to take a more, uh, I want to look at them more closely. In Jesus' own words, when asked what was most important, he said that we were to love God with all, with the, a few different translations. The NIV and the New American Standard say that we're to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Some other translations I really enjoy looking at are the message and the amplified. They really give a different take on things. They give a, better, a fuller understanding of the words used. In the message, Peterson translates... Um, heart, soul, mind, and strength this way. He says, love your God. Uh, The Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God. And he defines it this way. With all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. That's how he takes it. Passion, prayer, intelligence, and energy. And the Amplified says it this way. And you shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart. And out of and with all your soul, your life. And out of and with all your mind, with your, with your faculty of thought and your moral understanding. And out of and with all your strength. A few different translations. Some definitions, key words in this text. One of the key words is the word all. Love the Lord your God with all. And he repeats that word all four times. The word all means to... To do it wholly, or the whole of it. To do it completely. Not partially, not with just a a small measure, but the whole. Love him with your whole heart. Love him completely 
with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. The word heart there in the Greek is, is cardia. It's where we get the word cardiac or cardiology. That's the same root word. And in this sense, it means the, the heart is, the, is that seat of our sensibilities, our affections, our emotions, our desires, our appetites, or our passions. To love him with your passions. The word soul is the Greek word suke, and it means the very breath of life, or that in which there is life. The mind, it means understanding, or your thoughts, or I like this, with your way of thinking. Love the Lord your God with all your ways of thinking. Hmm. And strength. Our strength means our ability or our might or with a forcefulness. So if I was going to interpret this into Tom speak, if the authorized Tom version of the Bible, yet to be published, yet to be written, heart would be this way. I would, I would interpret it this way. To love the Lord my God with my complete passion. My soul would be to love him with my whole life. The mind would be to love him in all my ways of thinking. And my strength would be to love him mightily and forcefully. When I consider it, when I think of that text in those terms, when I put it into to my language, what makes sense to me, and I think that's a, you know, when I look at the various translations and the and the, interpret, uh, the definitions for those key words, I think that's a pretty honest take on it, right? I'm not, I don't feel like I'm adding anything to it or taking anything from it when I use the, you know, the Tom's authorized version. That seems to be pretty clear. When, when I look at that as a whole, when I look at you know, loving him with complete passion or with my whole life, with all my ways of thinking, loving him mightily and forcefully, there's a biblical example that comes to mind. And it's, it's the example of King David. When David brought the, the ark back into, you know, brought it back home to Jerusalem from Second Samuel chapter 6. Let, let me read that account to you and then expound on that a little bit further. If you have a Bible you want to look, it's Second Samuel 6.23. And it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Odom Edom, and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Odom Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull, a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. And he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with the shouts and with the sound of trumpets. And the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people 
in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. So you get this so far? If you remember the story, they were bringing the, originally they were bringing the ark in, and they had it on a cart, right? And the oxen stumbled, and I forget, uh, was it uh, Uriah? Not Uriah. Uzziah? Huzzah. Huzzah. Yeah, there you go. Stretched out his hand to steady it. Boom, he struck dead. They put the, the ark in Odom Eden's house because you know, they're freaked out that this guy got killed in the process. You know? He violated protocol and got killed uh, for his efforts. As if the hand of man could steady the things of God, right? As if God couldn't steady the ark himself. There's a lesson in that, but that's probably another sermon. And so after discovering that you know, they, they left it in Odom Edom's house, Odom Edom's been blessed ever since the ark was there, so they decide they're going to go get it. So David does it differently this time. He goes and he brings the ark of God back into the city of David, but he does it. They take just a few steps, and then they sacrifice. They make sacrifices. So a few more steps, they make sacrifices. In the process, David is dancing before the Lord with all his might in a linen ephod, all right? David's wearing his BVDs, his tidy whities and he's dancing before the Lord with all his might. And in the process of doing this, his wife is, is watching, right? Saul's daughter, the king that David has, has replaced. Saul's daughter, Michael, is watching and despising David in her heart. So now after all this, David gets home from a hard day's work. And it says here in verse 20, David went, David, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Honey, welcome home after such a hard day's work. Let me give you a hug. Here's some dinner. No. She says, <laughs> rather, she said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. So it wasn't exactly with hugs and kisses she welcomed him in the door. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And verse 23 says, And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. I love David. I love David. I think David got what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? He, this day is a great picture of what... Jesus is telling us to do in Mark chapter 12. David, in this instance, I think is a perfect picture of that text. Even if you use the Tom's authorized, uh, authorized version, it's fair to say that this day, David loved God with complete passion, with his whole life, with all his ways of thinking. And he did it forcefully and mightily. The text says that he danced before the Lord with all his might, right? 
He didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care about what other people thought. He didn't care at all what other people thought. If you worship that passionately in a white linen ephod in front of your whole nation, he's not really caring what other people think. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine on Sunday morning, if I, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> Nadine's saying, no, no. I don't even want to put a picture in the mind of all you visual people. This is praise and worship in its highest form. It was undignified. I love that David said, I will become even more undignified than this. May God make this place that undignified. May we become that undignified. Whose heart for worship would you rather have? David's heart or Michael's heart? Right? I don't know how we got there, guys. I don't know if we're just too white. I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're just too, too much Americans or just too much New Yorkers. But there is a worship that's available. There's an expression of passionate love before God that is not neat, that's not tidy, that's not orderly, that's not dignified, and it blesses the heart of God. Now, I'm not saying I know exactly what it looks like. I'm not even saying that what we have is bad. I'm just saying that there's more, right? I think we've, as a people, this church, most churches, we've barely scratched the surface of what's, what's available, what's possible, right? So, <laughs> be forewarned. <laughs> I want to go there. I really, really, really want to go there. And this is my concern about the spirit of Michael. She was barren the rest of her life. Right? Because David, who was doing right here? David was doing the right thing. If you look at Mark 12, David's loving the Lord as God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. He doesn't care what other people think. He's worshiping God passionately. He's worshiping, worshiping, worshiping him with all his strength, mightily. He's worshiping him. And it's undignified. The one who judged that was left barren. I don't want to be barren. I don't want the church to be barren. If we want to be a people who live love, and I want us to be a people who live love, then one of the ways that that's going to become manifest in our midst is how we love God. That's the first part of this, this text in John 12. If we're going to love God, then the object of our affection, there are only two things mentioned in this text, is that we love God and that we love our neighbors, right? That we love God and we love our neighbors. And that we're to love God with everything we got, to hold absolutely nothing back. I want us to go there. I want us to reach that high form of worship. 
And if it means that I have to be undignified, I'm willing to go there. So you can just pray I don't show up on my tidy whities one Sunday. <laughs> but I will if I have to. <laughs> There's biblical precedent right here. It's in black and white. I know. Oh my God, we could have got somebody else. <laughs> he said he wasn't going to change anything. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. I'm really, hold, I'm really holding back. I'm trying very hard. <laughs> I'm resisting my prophetic side to lead us out into wild blue yonder, and I'm trying very hard to use my pastoral side. Be free. <laughs> 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 you know I love you guys, right? I'm here a little while, but you know I love you. Okay. <laughs> if I do it, you'll follow? That's right. Ooh. We'll have a tidy whitey Sunday. <laughs> Vote of confidence from the pastor's wife. She says, let's not and just say we did. I've had the privilege the last couple of years of going to Burning Man and serving on a team that ministers out there. And there are people out there, outside the church, who have a better understanding of this kind of worship than we do. Now, the object of their worship is not the same object of our worship. They're worshiping the wrong things. But their expression of worship is light years ahead of us. There's something wrong with that, guys. That's a problem. That's a problem when the world is out in front of the church. We should be on the cutting edge. Not that we can have the distinction of being, you know, it. I don't mean that at all. But the creator lives inside of us, right? He lives inside of us. Jesus lives in us. The first way that God introduces himself to us in scripture, it says that in the beginning, God, what? Created. He expresses himself from the first as the creator. That being the case, if he lives inside of us, then we ought to be the most creative people on the planet. His spirit lives in us. The spirit of the creator is in us. We ought to be exploring creativity in everything that we do. And from that point of view, we should be out on the cutting edge. We shouldn't be following the world's example. They shouldn't be more creative than us. They shouldn't be more free than us. They shouldn't be more expressive than us. They should be looking for creativity and freedom and expression here in the church. They should be learning from us. They should be inspired from us. We're the only place of true inspiration, the only source of true inspiration, right? That which is spirit breathed, right? That's what the word inspiration means, the breath of the spirit. Anything else is a counterfeit. So I go there, and I love being there, and I love loving those people. But as a pastor, my heart's grieved. How could they be out in front of us on some of these things? Because we want to be dignified? <laughs> I don't want to be dignified. I want to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, not caring what anyone else thinks of me. 
If you're a Burning Man and you're walking around painted blue from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you've gotten to a place where you don't care anymore what anybody thinks of you, okay? If you're a group of men marching, <laughs> marching down the street all dressed in pink wedding dresses, you don't care anymore <laughs> what other people think of you. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we ought to be painted blue or wear wedding dresses. I'm saying we ought to be much more creative than we are. We ought to be a lot more undignified than we are if it's to worship him, if it's to express the passion, the passionate love in our heart for him. Am I making sense? Yes. Okay. Okay, so living love. One of the ways that we can live love is to love God with all we got, holding nothing back. The other is to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So it begs the question, who is our neighbor? Who's my neighbor? When he says to love your neighbor as yourself, is your neighbor only the believers? Or is your neighbor the unbelievers? Or is it both? Well, who lives next door to you? <laughs> your neighbor is the person who's in proximity to you whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, right? How, once we have figured out who our neighbor is, then the next question is, well, how do we love ourselves? Well, we love ourselves in just some very practical ways, right? We eat every day, some of us more than we should. We clothe ourselves. We have shelter. Those are practical ways. That we love ourselves. That's how we ought to love our neighbors too. In tangible and in practical ways. John says it well in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16 he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let's let it be more than just lip service. Let it be with actions, in doing something. The word there indicates that there's some kind of work involved. Let's do it in truth. Let's do it in reality. Let's, let's do it in fact. Let's not do it theoretically. I love the job that Mary Butts are doing on Wednesday nights with the food pantry. I love that we can provide real needs to real people who are really in need. I, I love that we can do that. M much kudos on you, Mary But Great job. Amen. Amen. <laughs> My heart is that we get to the place where, we, where they wipe us out of food every week. And we got to go get some more because there are more people coming. That the hungry can be fed. Lord, make that so. But when I think about this, this half of the text, I had a biblical example for loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength was David dancing before the Lord. When, when I think about loving our neighbor, then the text that comes to mind is the, is the parable of, of the Good Samaritan, right? Out of Luke chapter 10. Let me read that to you. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? They keep asking Jesus questions, right? 
He says, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, get this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Hmm. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply to that question, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Man, Jesus was really giving it to this guy. This guy's an expert in the law, right? He's a religious professional, right? He's a minister. And he tells this parable, and it's, it's the priest, it's the Pharisee, or the Levite, who just wander by and leave the guy in the ditch. Why? Why did they do that? Because they were concerned that the law, if they touched this guy, that they, they would somehow become unclean. That's what their concern is. But they had to follow the religious rules and regulations. And if they did that, they might be considered somehow unclean and couldn't show up at temple the next Saturday. Know who, realize who Jesus is speaking to here. Right? He's speaking right to this man's heart. He's speaking right to the issue. And then just to drive it home a little more, he makes the hero of the story a Samaritan who were considered outcasts, even enemies of the Jews. So who's our neighbor? Our neighbor's the one in need. Remember when I told you a few weeks ago that it's more important to love than it is to be right? Here's a good, here's a good biblical expression of that statement. It would have been better if the priest or the Levite had helped the guy on the side of the road instead of staying right in their religious practice. It is more important to love than it is to be right. This is how we love one another. We find out where the need is and we meet that need. So I think in this text, as I once again on a Sunday try to drive home the message that we be a people who live love, that if we want to live love, it's going to be real. It's going to be passionate. It's going to be practical. (laughs) It's going to be sweaty. 
I think David was sweaty when he got home that day. I think if I'm going to worship God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and all my strength, if I'm going to worship him, if I'm going to praise him with all my strength, I'll be sweaty Mm -hmm. at the end of it. I think so. I just mentioned Burning Man again. It's what I love about going out there. It's real and it's practical. And it's loving. <laughs> and boys, it's sweaty out there in the desert. We give away 20,000 bottles of water to people in the desert. Can you get any more practical and loving people than giving water to people who are in the desert? For some of those people, it can't be any more loving. Some of them are horribly dehydrated because they're so stoned. They don't even know that they need to drink water. You're saving their lives with that bottle of water. It's what I love about our our meetings on Thursday nights, the Band of Brothers. I think this is the place where we're headed. Is that we're going to love one another in real, in practical, in tangible ways. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, and that he laid down his life for his friends. Those are the kind of brothers I need. How about you? People, listen to me. This is doable. We can do this. We just have to lay down being dignified. We just got to lay down being religious. We could do this. If we become a people who live love, we will be unstoppable. You know that? If we can become a people who live love, Nothing will be impossible for us. Absolutely nothing. Love never fails. It says so in the Word. If we can become a people who live love, God will do God-sized things in our midst. If we can love one another in here, then the people out there are going to want to come in here. If we can love one another in here, we can love them out there. we got to get it right in here. Because if we can't love one another in here, even if we do manage to love them out there, they're not going to want to come in here. They can, they'll come in here and say, you guys don't even like one another. You want me to become part of your community? I don't think so. <laughs> we can do this. This is doable. It's foundational. It's critical. It's absolutely necessary. Now, I'm hoping you know my heart by now. I don't care. I don't care if this church ever grows by one more member. That's not my motivation. I just want us to love one another. This isn't some kind of church growth strategy I have. No, I just think we need to love one another because it's right that we love one another. And if in this place we love one another passionately, if this is a place where we love God passionately, I just know that the overflow of that, that the impact of that, is that love is attractive. I know when I first got saved, I went to this community of people, and I expected them to hate me. And instead, they loved me. And even as a 16-year-old boy, I liked I really like being loved unconditionally. They loved me unconditionally. 
And for that reason alone, I kept going back week after week after week. I didn't even know what they were doing. The speaking in tongues thing really freaked me out. But they loved me. And I liked being loved, and I needed to be loved. Everyone in the world, everyone outside the kingdom, desperately needs to be loved with the love of God. They, they, whether they realize it or not, they need to be in an environment where God, where God is being loved passionately. I want us to be that place. I want us to be that place because it's right. It's what we were created for. It's the reason why we're here. If for nothing else, if for nothing else, I want us to be that place. People, I want us to love one another. If we can love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, if we can love one another, if we can live love in that way, then this place will be the safest place on earth. It will be. There'll be no safer environment. It'll be the freest place on earth. It'll be the most creative place on earth. It'll be the most power-filled place on earth. I believe that with all my heart. Now let me just let me just end with this. I had a dream last night. It was a pretty short dream. But I I knew it was for us and I want to share it with you. Um so in my dream I discover I realize that Nadine is pregnant in the dream. And um, I'm pretty sure in the dream that we are the same age we are now. It's not like, you know, we were, you know, back in our 20s. So in the dream, I discover that we find that, Nadine, we just discovered Nadine had just become pregnant. And, um, and as a result of this, Nadine's father calls the whole family together. The whole family comes together and he, he's gonna, he wants to talk to the whole family. And he tells us how he has plans for this baby that we've just discovered Nadine's pregnant with. And that his plans for the baby is that this child would, would um, be trained and join the Air Force. And that's the end of the dream. In the dream, I find out that Nadine is pregnant. And um, she's newly pregnant. And then her father calls together the whole family and tells the family that he, and it, was, it wasn't just Nadine and I. It was the whole family. There's a whole bunch of people there. Matter of fact, the father's standing there. He even has some chart there on the wall, some kind of, some kind of poster. And he's pointing to the posters, telling us, I have a plan for this child. And my plan for this child is that this child be trained and that this child would, would join the Air Force. And so I've taken a couple of classes on dream interpretation. I even taught a couple of classes on dream interpretation. And there may be multiple levels of meaning to the dream, but this is what I know. Um, Nadine is this church. The pastor is married to the church, right? Often in, in my dreams, Nadine represents the church. She's our church. This church is pregnant. We are pregnant with the purposes of God. We are newly impregnated with the purposes of God. And that the father has a plan. In the dream, Nadine's father is the father. He has a plan for us. He knows exactly what he's doing. And his plan is that we go through training and that we join the Air Force. What does the Air Force represent? Right? 
the Air Force isn't just simply, it's not, it's not commercial air, air flight. It's not private air flight, right? It's military air flight. So the Air Force would represent flying, uh, navigating the air, the things of the spirit, but doing it in a powerful way, powerfully equipped, trained, powerfully trained and equipped to navigate the things of the spirit. There, there may be more to the dream than that, but this I know. I know that this church is pregnant with the purposes of God, and God has a plan. And his plan is that we be trained and equipped to do powerful things in the spirit. I want to go there. I know. I'm convinced. If I know anything, if 33 years as a Christian has taught me anything, if we're going to fulfill the purposes of God, if we're going to complete the purpose and destiny that he has for us as a people, we have got to live love. This is foundational. This is foundational. Now, if you want that too, would you stand and pray with me? <laughs> if that's your heart. <coughs> so, Father, on this Father's Day, thank you for giving me a dream that I'll be a father again. Thank you, Lord, that we're pregnant with divine purposes. Thank you, Father, that you have a plan. And Lord, I say yes to you. I say yes. yes. I say yes to the training. I say yes to your plan. I say yes to your assignment. And Lord, I pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would remove from us everything that would hinder us from your purpose or from your plan. Remove it from us, oh God. Any vestiges, oh God, of being dignified in our own eyes or in the eyes of men. Lord, any remnants of a false religion set us free. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who love you with all. That we would love you with all, wholly and completely. That we would love you with all of our heart, passionately, Lord God. That we would love you with all of our mind, all our ways of thinking. That we would love you. That we would love you with all of our strength, every breath that we have, that we would love you. Oh God. And that we would love you with all our strength, that we'd hold nothing back, that we love you mightily and forcefully. Do it, Lord. Show us how to do that. And Lord, I pray that we'd love one another. I pray that we'd love one another, Jesus, just as you loved us, that we would lay down our lives for one another. Lord, make this a church where we live love. I pray that all men would know that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. Lord, I pray that this place would be safe and free and creative because it's a place where love is practiced at a high, high level. Do it, Lord. Have your way with us, oh God. Have your way with us, oh God. Lord, I pray that we love one another. I pray that we would live love. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that we would live love. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just move among your people this morning. Touch the hearts and the minds of your people. Touch them, oh God. Touch them.
Hmm. Touched him, Lord. Touch your people, oh God. Thank you, Lord. For some of you who've been Christian 20 years, this is what I'm hearing in the Spirit. You've been a Christian 20 years or more. And in those 20 years, you've seen some amazing things. You've watched, you've participated in moves of the Spirit. And I have a sense that God would say to you um, that those are great days, but the best days are yet to come. The best days are yet to come. That He hasn't already shown you the best of what He can do. That there's, there's more. That there's still more. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would, as your word says, enlarge the place of our tent. Stretch our tent curtains wide to the right and to the left. Lord, I pray that you would increase our capacity for you and then fill us up to overflowing. And then again, increase our capacity for you for more of your presence for more of your power, for more of the working of your spirit in our lives. Lord, stretch us. Enlarge us, O oh God. Enlarge our hearts. Enlarge our minds. For more of you. Lord, I pray that you would release in our midst the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better, that we know you more intimately and personally, passionately, that we'd know your heart, that we'd know your ways. Lord, we surrender control. We surrender control of our lives into your hands. We trust you. Come and take control. Take control, Lord. No matter what, have your way. Lord, we want your kingdom. We want your presence more than we want anything else. We want you, oh God. So, Father, I ask you, no matter what it costs, no matter the price that has to be paid, no matter what has to die in us, Lord, I ask that you would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, that we would be a people who truly live love. Make it so, Father God. Lord, I ask that you do this in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. With all my heart, I love you guys. Have a happy Father's Day. I'll see you throughout the week.